Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha. And this week, we're talking about Kill Bill Volume 2. Kill Bill Volume 2 was a 2004 action film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. It is the follow-up to Kill Bill Volume 1, which we covered last week. Mm -hmm. And it is starring Uma Thurman, David Carradine, Daryl Hannah, and Michael Madsen. Wow. And while this is technically a sequel, seeing as it was released a year after the first one, like I mentioned on that episode, this is more so the second half of a movie as opposed to a part two. So uh, it's very connected to the first one as opposed to the original. Um, so this one shared the same budget as the last one, which was $30 million, but this one grossed $152.2 million. So it wasn't, the last one I think was like 189 I think I said, I don't oh, remember okay. exactly. But if you think about that, they took that $30 million budget and basically divided it into two mm-hmm. box offices. So it's like, the movie crushed it. Um, this $30 million is not counting all the extra advertising and all that for when part two came out. Like, I'm sure there was extra costs and all that but still i mean fuck if, if every studio could do that i think they would well i was gonna say i think i know it's a risk for the studios but it seems cheaper to make if you already like have plans to make a sequel just to shoot it i know we do it a lot for like like the harry potter movies or what's it, the harry potter movies? well yeah but that was the deathly hollows but that was kind of the same as this where they just knew it was going to be like a four-hour movie if they did it properly so they right. were like let's just say now it's going to be two movies yeah so we have time but they what you're talking about they have done it i remember in like th- like 2007 it was real popular or not even 2007 i don't know why i said that oh i do because i was thinking of pirates of the caribbean but mm. like pirates of the caribbean they filmed part two and three back to back uh matrix filmed two and three back to back it doesn't really count but lord of the rings they filmed all three of yes, them at the same time that's the one i was thinking of so yeah that does make sense but those were also they made the decision ahead of time that those are separate movies what makes Kill Bill different is that decision wasn't made until editing. So it was shot knowing it was going to be one movie. It wasn't like they were like, oh, let's make Kill Bill and then we'll make Kill Bill 2. Right. You know, and also they had no idea if the first one would be successful. Like if it bombed, they might have just not even released the second one. You know what I mean? So That's true. That's, so it is a risk. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, yeah, you never know when something's going to be successful. But I just think like it's better in the long run, I think from a storytelling standpoint. Because sometimes when, I mean, we all know this, when you see a sequel, it's like, you didn't even remember what happened in the first one, you know, like it, it it's kind of nice to see like it written as one story. Yeah, because then it's like act, it actually makes sense, like cause and effect from the first movie actually applies to the second movie, Exactly. Um, which is obviously very strong here because it was shot as one. For so. sure, for sure. And yeah, and even though we're covering these separately, I said last time, I do consider these one whole movie. I think if you're going to look at Kill Bill, you do kind of have to look at the whole you can't just watch one of them and be like, oh, I think I get it. Like, it's, I feel like you've only really watched half the movie until you see the whole thing, mm-hmm. which is why also we even held off on you, you know, giving your love rating last week because you hadn't seen the whole, the whole shabazz yet. So mm. do you want to guess Rotten Tomatoes really quick? Ooh, I already forgot what the last ones were. Kill Bill 1 was 85 critics, 81 audience. Hmm. I'm going to say 78 audience, 82 critics. Close on critics, 84. Whoa. 89 on the audience. Really? Audiences love this one more than the first one. Whoa. Yeah, this uh, this one was a hit. Damn, this. I'm so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, I mean, I gave most of the, if you listen to this and you haven't listened to the volume one episode, highly recommend going back to that one. I give most of the backstory on these characters, this plot and like where Tarantino got all this. So that section of this episode is going to be a little bit light. Um, So I'll just go right into kind of history of it all. I imagine you, I mean, you probably covered it on your Kill Bill volume one. I doubt you have any history with volume two if (laughs) if you never saw volume one. Not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I forgot, sorry if this is repetitive to anyone who just listened, but I can't remember what we said. Did you remember these coming out or were you too young? Because I, I was like 13, so I would have put you at like 10 or 11. Yeah, I think I, no, I don't remember these coming out, but I, I remember that moment where I was like, oh, there are two of those movies Yeah. because, you know, they use the same art and everything. So like, unless you're paying attention to volume one, volume two, yeah. you can kind of like ignore the fact and just think it's one movie. True, so. true. Anyway, for me, so as I talked on the last episode, this movie coming out was a big deal for me. It was like right when I was really getting into film, like in, in movies, basically in general. Yep. So yeah, I had, I had watched the first one somewhere, whether I think it was probably on the internet, if I had to really be honest to myself. <laughs> um, I loved it. I watched it a thousand times at home on the computer, watched the fight scenes over and over and over again. Oh, man. Um, and then when this one came out, I remember like even having like the stupid thought of like being like, holy shit, this is going to be my first Quentin Tarantino movie on the big screen. Just because I knew how like highly regarded he was. <laughs> and I was. He was the first really director I knew by name. So I didn't really know any of the directors by name before him. So it was more just like, well, this is going to be so exciting. Well, Scorsese's not there yet? Uh, no, he was after. He uh. was after. His stuff was a little more... Like, Tarantino makes great movies, but they're, like, fun as fuck. Like, mm. like 14-year-olds could really... Like, as long as you're allowed to watch violence and cursing... Right. They're so fun for young kids. Like, Scorsese stuff... Yes, there's some good examples of stuff that's fun for younger kids, but a lot of it's... You got to be a little bit more mature and older, and it's, it's not quite as focused on, like, let's have a great time, you know? Yeah. Tarantino always has a sense of, like, fun in his mania of his movies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I already liked action flicks, so, like, Kill Bill 1 was just, like, the shit to me, and I loved it. I was dying for this one. Yeah, I think, I'm pr- actually, I do remember now, it was, I didn't have anyone to take me because I was only 14, and it was rated R, so I remember thinking I wasn't going to get to see it, and then this dude I went to school with, John, his mom was willing to take us. Whoa. And then so me and him went, like, I remember, like, one weekend. We, we, we were, like, we were friends, but we were, like, school friends. You, you know those friends? Like, we didn't really do anything ever outside of school, but, yeah. like, in school, we were middle school, we had classes together. So it was, like, the only time I ever hung out with this dude after, but I remember his mom taking us to see Kill Bill, and I was, like, so fucking excited. Because <laughs> um, I was, like, you know, we had just gotten the internet in 2002 and now this is leading up to 2004 so like i was i don't know if you remember like the first time you had like easy access to like a reasonably fast internet Mm -hmm. it was crazy for me i was just like i gotta look up everything in the whole world like i was just like ah what's what's all this we were not doing the same things on the internet (laughs) (laughs) so i was just reading everything about kill bill 2 like and it was you know it's not the andy of now who won't even watch a trailer for a spoiler like back then i wanted to know everything like i was just like Whatever you got, give me. Like I, I saw pictures of David Carradine as Bill before they really used it in the movie. Like I was just like really watching it all, and then this this might not even be a good story. And if it's not, we can cut it out. But I have this one memory, man. It was right before this movie came out, or maybe it had just come out. I think it just came out, and I was with uh, a family friend. So I was fourteen, he was thirteen, and our parents were go. All of our parents were going out to like a like something, some big dinner or whatever. And they had another family friend that I never met. 
but the other guy knew them. Mm-hmm. And so they basically, the parents were like, we're just going to drop you all off at their house because they have like a 17-year-old son who would like watch us. We were, I was 13, he was 12, we didn't really need watching, but you know, right. just in case. So it was me, my friend, and then these a 17-year-old and one of his friends. So like two 17-year-old boys and then like me and my other friend. And these dudes were like, they loved just like fighting and martial arts and kung fu. And they were always like wrestling each other and like just like boy shit. Okay. And then they were like, we're going to play punch for punch. What? And uh, I was like, all right, go for it. Like, I was like, I'm, I was like, me and the other kid were like, we're not doing this. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to play this. And these motherfuckers were going like hard, like like punching, like- punching each other in the chest back and forth <gasps> until someone gives up. Oh my god! Yeah, a wild game. Oh, I'm so happy I'm not a boy sometimes. So, so they were just rocking each other, and then. Uh, and then they were like, you guys should play. But I were like, but I was like, yeah, but we're not, I'm not punching like that. Like, like they were winding up their punches. Like, it, like it looked real bad. And then they were like, oh, well, then why don't you try playing one inch punch for punch? And then I was like, what's, what's that? And he basically showed us exactly what Pai Mei shows the oh. bride in this movie, <laughs> where you put your finger, your fingers up to the, to like a wall. And then just, you know, you have one inch to punch in. And then so we each like tried that on each other and like it didn't hurt that bad. So then we're like, oh, that's fun. So me and this dude played one inch punch for punch. My, my friend, like the, yeah. the one who was my age. And like eventually after like 25 of them, they do start to actually hurt, you know. So but it was like fun. We were laughing like it, it wasn't it wasn't the kind of oh, thing. And I remember like, fun. like, and then this other the older kid, he was like, yeah, it's like this kung fu technique. Like he was basically like trying to like act like this like wise. Like, yeah, it's like it's this technique in case your opponent's only one inch away and this and that. And then also, coincidentally to that, I told those kids I loved Kill Bill 1. And they were like, well, you, they didn't think I saw I would have seen it because I was young. Yeah. And they were they were telling me about Kill Bill 2 because they had seen it already because they were 17. And then I was, that's when I was saying, like, yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to see it. Like, I don't have – they were like, you have to see it. It's awesome, blah, blah. So I remember that. And then I remember the one-inch punch for punch. And then I do remember when I finally saw the movie, I was like, yo, those kids <laughs> were literally doing Kill Bill. Like, wow. they, don't, they don't know shit about martial arts. Like, <laughs> like they watched this fucking American-ass, like, movie. And they were just like, oh, this is, like, an ancient form. Uh, age. They're so, trying to be cool. Yeah. So I did still think it was cool. But at that age, I was just like, oh, I, I thought they, like, learned it from something, like, something, oh, like, please. crazy. That's funny. <laughs> so that's my Kill Bill 2 story. I like it. But other than that, I do remember seeing it. Uh, in theaters i remember really liking it but but having every single expectation i had subverted based on the first movie and even to the point where the friend i went with he didn't like it at all oh um because i mean now that you've seen them both and we'll get into this a lot but these two movies while yes they are one big movie are so drastically different where I feel like the first movie sets up all these expectations of cr- the craziest action you've ever seen in your life. Yes. Bride's doing wire foo. She's killing a hundred men. She's, you know, just like all this wild, 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 wild shit. And then it builds you up for the sequel that's 40 minutes longer. So when you first look at the runtime, you're like, oh, this is going to be crazy. <laughs> and then it's mostly conversations. Yeah. The second movie is very quiet compared to the first movie. There are fight scenes. I'm not saying there's not fights. But... It's a lot more character driven as opposed to set piece driven like the first one. So at 14, I really liked it, but I couldn't really articulate why. Like I was just like engaged. And then I remember my one friend was like, that was fucking stupid. Like <laughs> there was no like her and Bill, they just talked for a half hour. There was no fight. I thought, you know, this and that. What's, I thought she was going to like cut his head off. And like, ah, you know, so I do remember that divisiveness, at least people my age, because we were in middle school. So, you know, we yeah. weren't really thinking that critically of movies. <laughs> but as time went on, the more I would watch these two, the more I would fall in love with them. And I do think, Part two is probably a little bit stronger if you had to separate them as films. 
but part one's infinitely more fun and rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Like I would never, I would watch part one like all the time. Like I would, I'll just put it on. Like you know, but like I would never put part two on without first watching part one, knowing that I'm gonna go into like a full epic. You know what I mean? Like I don't just like throw on Kill Bill two. Right. So I do think at the end of the day, it probably is a little bit better. Like it's a little bit more kind of mature and well rounded and has like more depth to it. But that's why I think these two complement themselves so good, and why this is like a perfect movie in my opinion because. You get everything that a movie can be, which is fun and entertaining. Eat some popcorn and then like introspective thinking about it a little bit uh-huh. and then blending all that together with, you know, great music, great acting. Everything else is great, like on the peripherals in my opinion. But yeah, so that was like my experience kind of seeing it for the first time and, just, and just trying to like understand. Like I didn't get the idea about subverting expectations. Like I didn't understand at that age why a filmmaker or an artist would want to do that. To me, it's like, why not just do it like make more do it like, again yeah, yeah. yeah like i love i loved rush hour 2 i liked uh you know like uh, there's so many of these sequels that i'm just like yeah, yeah again like like more i want <laughs> i want more of that like you know so yes so this was the first time i saw like holy shit like you can not only do something different but you can take what everyone's expecting you to do mm-hmm. and kind of like fuck with them you know because like it's an art. It's like it's it's the way I hear comedians talk about certain things where like nate bargetsy says this about sometimes with like certain callbacks he won't do the really obvious ones in his comedy because, and then people will come up to him after and be like, "Hey, at the end of there, you know, you really could have mentioned that thing from your earlier joke, and it would have tied it together really good." And he's like, "The fact that you thought of it is the reason why I can't do it because mm. I'm a professional comedian. Like, I'm supposed to be better than you at comedy." Burn. But no, it's I know. Is it? <laughs> someone paid to see someone else do comedy. It's not. It just felt right to say. All right. <laughs> so I'm saying, like, like we're paying this Tarantino to make movies. Like right. you and I are paying him our money to make a movie. So he, in theory, should be better. Right. At- if we could all write it, then he wouldn't be Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. So, so I that that blew my mind. Where he was just like, oh, I know what you all think this part two is gonna be. But this is how I'm going to edit it together. Mm-hmm. And because this movie is not edited 100% chronologically, he didn't have, to, even though it was all filmed this way, he didn't have to break it up where he front load the action. Like he could have put Oren in the second movie, you know what I mean? And had Bud in the first movie, you know? So like he knew what he was doing in terms of like setting you up for one expectation and then coming in the other way. Right. Um, and Tarantino's really good with that in most of his movies. But uh, this one, I just think it works so fucking good. Yeah, I wasn't expecting as much origin story in the second movie. I thought like we had dealt with all of that in the first, and because you know by this at this point we're like, oh yeah, we know what this is about. Now she's gonna go after the remaining two and Bill, and yeah, uh, yeah we'll see some more fighting. Exactly. Like I wasn't expecting as many returns to the flashbacks and her origin story as well. Like in terms of yeah. like how she developed and all that. Yeah. No, it's that's very true. Um, I love the way they do it too, where. In the first movie, we see, like, the heinous act. Mm-hmm. And then this movie, we explain, like, how we got there. And it, like, right. it like deepens everything. As opposed to, like, if you explain it first and then just show it, then it's like, okay. Like, it's it's not bad, but it's it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't do anything different. <laughs> and this one, it's like, every time you get another piece of Bill and the bride's kind of world, you're like, oh, now that makes that decision make a little bit more sense. Like, now I know why he didn't kill her in the hospital bed in the first yeah. movie. You know what I mean? Like, And what works out like about Kill Bill so much, too, is that everybody, every single character in this mo- whole movie, from part one to part two, there's not basically a single person we don't meet that isn't, at minimal, a killer, let mm-hmm. alone a bad person and a monster. And 
this movie kind of shows you the shades of that because the bride isn't a good person. Like, no. Like, by all accounts, she really shouldn't get what she, like, really wants, like, by, by what she's done in life. But this movie just asks you to, like, step through that and be like, accept that you're in this world full of killers and bad people and then look at the shades of that and why some people do certain things and what drives people to make these bad decisions. And I really like it because it's not a, it's not an easy world to live in. It's not just like there's a hero and and here's the bad guy and let's go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know you haven't seen it, so I'm going to try not to harp on it too much. And it's been 10 years just about since I've seen it, so I do owe it a rewatch. I'm not a big fan of Tarantino's Django Unchained. Mm. I think it's fun to watch, but I don't think it's that good of a movie. I'm not going to see it, so you can spoil it as much as you want. Okay. Um, but, <laughs> oh, sorry, listeners. <laughs> but the re- It's not about spoiling it. It's more just yeah. talking about it as a movie. Okay. Um, so where, where everything that this like, Kill Bill kind of, in my opinion, does correctly, I feel it does the opposite turn and is a little more misguided in Django Unchained, where a lot of that movie is very cathartic. It's about a slave who goes on a killing rampage and kills a bunch of slave owners to go get his girl, his, his wife back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very cathartic. It's something that didn't really happen and it's fun to watch because you're like, oh, look, Jamie Foxx has a whip and he's whipping fucking Michael Fassbender's slave-owning ass. Like, it's hilarious. Yeah. But, like, as a movie, <laughs> A, there's less complexity to it because why wouldn't you be on Django's side? I mean, mm-hmm. he's literally an American slave who's fighting for his freedom. So, like, there's no complication there. You're like, of course. I don't want anything bad to happen to this guy. He's a good guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then, and then the the slave owners are you, you're not gonna side with them. You're like, yeah, yeah, he's the good guy. They're the bad guys. Kill him. And then that whole movie is just this guy going on a rampage, murdering people, similar to the bride. But he doesn't have as many moments of kind of doubt. I love the way the bride can't. Even though she's the deadliest woman in the world, she's still unsure of herself in most situations, and she gets bested a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Like, she's not always just, like, the... Like, you know, she she almost dies, like, five times in the first movie. Like, Gogo almost kills her. It's not like she just, like, walks in a room. You know, we love Fast and Furious, but the way Dom Toretto, nothing bad ever happens to him. He comes into every situation fully confident, I got this. I'm fucking Dom. Ba 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 ba. Of course I got it. <laughs> I, I love... What makes the bride different as, like, this unstoppable killing machine is, like, she's always looking scared, nervous, tired, bloody... Like, trying to figure out what the fuck she's going to do next. Trying to do something and then hoping it'll work, but not really knowing. You know what I mean? Right. And Django didn't really have that. He was just kind of like, he gets a gun, he's the best marksman in the world. Like, he gets, he goes into a group of bad guys, fucks them all up without even thinking about it. He gets captured once, but it's uh, it's not, not really that tension gra- grabbing. Yeah. So, I, I'm not trying to turn this into a bash on Django. And like I said, it's been 10 years since I, I only saw it once in theaters, so I definitely do need to rewatch it. But... This movie, like, takes that idea of, like, a one-man badass action movie hero, gives it to you in the first movie, and then the second one just, like, strips you down to her as a person, Mm -hmm. which I feel like you don't normally get. It adds depth to everything when this could have very well been just straightforward action. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And there's a heart to it, right? Because of her daughter. Yes, exactly. So there's, like, a real... This world is so crazy, but, like, that really grounds it. And makes it relatable. Yep. And I think just every fucking actor is cast so well that, like, nobody doesn't sell their delivery ever. Uh, All right. So should we just jump into this? Sure. 
this opening bit of her talking directly to camera, this was the one bit that they filmed once they knew that it was going to be two separate movies. Oh, interesting. So this is the one thing that wouldn't have been there had this been an original movie. Because she's talking directly to cameras and she's even talking about the first movie like it was a movie. You know, right. she's like, the movie advertisements called it a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared and I rampaged <laughs> and I got bloody revenge. Wow. That's funny. I wouldn't have known that if you didn't tell me. And to me, it reminded me of uh, freaking the lady in Psycho, except she was actually speaking to camera rather than like us hearing her thoughts yeah. as she was driving. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. that's what that reminded me of. And then, all right, and then we, so we, we jump into getting to actually see what the wedding, uh, well, we find that it was a wedding rehearsal. It wasn't even a wedding. Um, where the where the massacre happens, mm-hmm. and how the fuck did you not know that was <laughs> Sam Jackson? I looked at you Yo, like three times. I know. I was like, does anyone want me to know who this is? And then you know why? It's because it was the camera never really gave him a close up. Yeah, he's in silhouette we, the whole time. And then also he looked bigger than I'm used to seeing Sam Jackson. Like I he know, looks heavier. It wasn't even about the looks though. Nobody sounds like Sam Jackson <laughs> in the world. Like there's not another voice I'd be like, was that was that Sam? Ah, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, you know, also he looked like that guy from Mission Impossible. Oh, Ving Rhames. Yeah. Ah. So I was like, is that Ving Rhames? That, like, I... that wouldn't be crazy because Ving Rhames is also in Pulp Fiction. Oh, okay. Very well. <laughs> like I didn't know who it was. Yeah. At all. I'm but sorry. no, that was just Sam Jackson filling his obligatory Tarantino role. <laughs> he's, he's been in everything. Nah, was it everything? No, he wasn't in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> All right, he's in most of his movies since Pulp Fiction. I don't know how he got that job at the church, that character. <laughs> Why not? He's the man. He's Rufus. I he's know. He's smoking in church, first of all. It's fucking Texas. <laughs> the freaking priest who hired him didn't even know, like, who he worked for. He's yeah. like, oh, who's that guy you worked for again? That's, Mother? <laughs> that's Rufus. He's the man. Oh, man. I, so I, he, was, he was the, he was the, the colored folk. Remember in the fir- in the first movie when the sheriff was oh, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, but not dead," and the color fellow who played piano. Yeah, yeah that okay. Was, that was Sam Jackson. Oh, it's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all got a song? How about "Love Me Tender"? I can play that. Sure. <laughs> Love Me Tender be great. Rufus, he's the man. Rufus, who was that you used to play for? Rufus Thomas. Rufus Thomas. Rufus Thomas. I was a drill. I was a drifter. I was a coaster. I was part of the gang. I was a bar K. If they come through Texas, I can play with them. Rufus, he's the man. Um, but yeah, again, with the subverting expectations, like the first movie set up Bill as this faceless, like, super villain, you know? Like, we were just... We're like, fuck, who's Bill? Like, yes. we, didn't, we didn't even get to look at him. We don't know anything about him. And then this movie opens. The, we, we see him for the first time instead of in a grand action scene or something. He's playing that flute outside as the bride walks outside during her, uh, her right. re- wedding rehearsal. And uh, I just love, like, the quietness of that. Like, that's such a great reveal of him for the first time. We learned in the first movie that he's the father of her baby. Mm-hmm. But we don't know anything about it. Like, she very well could have been raped. You know, like, we don't know anything about their relationship. We don't know anything about what happened. And then now we're getting a little taste into them. You know, she's surprised to see him, but she's not scared to see him. She's not... Yeah. Like, she's actually, like, part of her is, like... Happy. Yeah. And, Which like, is weird. Yeah, like, and that throws you off. Because it's really not until the end that we learned, like, the full extent of their relationship. 
but by getting a little taste of it here, because like I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, how the fuck is she not like? I've seen the Ninja Turtles see Shredder like they go into fight mode, you know, like they're not like like yeah. why is she looking at him like, you know, like I missed you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it's funny too because I was trying to draw my own conclusions as to where they sort of sat with each other. Like uh-huh. I was like, did she ditch a job, like a super important job, yeah, and yeah. that's why he like came after her? Like, what's the reason? What was the reason? <laughs> but yeah, their their interaction was very interesting and. I like the it was interesting the cut the close-ups and then the close-ups of the feet walking towards each other yep. and it took so long for them to finally like meet yep. and be in the same shot um my note was feet and then you know I had that additional thought of observation um I did say Kill Bill is the most effective use of feet in any <laughs> scene movie I'm serious. He uses them for like reasons. Like it's not just there to be a lady's feet. Yeah, but you know their conversations were really interesting and freaking that face acting is so good of Uma's. Yeah. Because I feel like you can. You didn't have to script anything. Like I see everything in her face. You know, like all of her emotions and everything. And what I found hilarious about this scene is they have their little heart to heart, right? And then he goes in with her, like to be a part of her family because she literally has no other family there. And she introduces him as her father. Yeah, he was like, like (laughs) (laughs) but I like that too because at that point we still don't know what they are to each other. Yeah, and then so seeing that his reaction, like that's like you know, like then you're like, oh wait a minute, so he's like almost insulted by hearing. Well, yeah, well, and I I found it extra funny because we know that it's his baby. Oh yeah, so that's why I laughed. Um, real quick though, speaking of uh, like Bill, do you have do you know who David Carradine is at all, the actor? Oh, I feel like I should. Um, he's pretty famous. He's been around. Uh, he died in two thousand nine, but he oh. was around for a long time. But his most famous probably role was there's a show in the seventies called Kung Fu, mm-hmm. and it was a uh, it was literally just a martial arts show. It was about a guy named Kane who just like literally walks the earth and gets in adventures Whoa. like kung fu style adventures and david carradine was the star of that show did they ever put kane in the ring with kane no. in wwe okay it was 25 years before oh well the 70s was not the 90s i, I know <laughs> but like uh well whatever all right <laughs> moving on and yeah so like you know and, and that show a lot of people who were old enough to watch it kind of cite that show as bringing a lot of popularity of kung fu to america because it came out, like, I have it here, 1972. And, you know, like, that's when we started getting a lot of, like, VHSs were getting made. And we were starting to get a lot of, like, movies from Hong Kong and China come to America and be sold. Because people were getting really into, like, martial arts had a huge boom in America around that time. It's not, it's not that that show created it, but I think it... It helped. It helped. And it also probably capitalized on it a little bit. It was probably like, ooh, it was pretty good. I want to take you out to dinner. And then I want to go back to my apartment and watch Kung Fu. Do you ever watch Kung Fu? I love Kung Fu. Channel 39. Totally. You should come over and watch Kung Fu tonight. Okay. Great. Okay. Can we order lunch first? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so David Carradine's known for being the star of Kung Fu. He's a martial artist, actor. Like, he's a, he's just, like, known as the martial arts actor guy. So to have him play Bill is real cool, especially in his old age. Because mm-hmm. if you know where he comes from, then you can, like, picture it in your head of being like, oh, this guy in his youth oh, that's was cool. a bad motherfucker. Oh, that's pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, so Carradine's great. You know, I know, you know who David Carradine's brother is. Ooh. I don't know his name. I forgot. 
he's the star of Revenge of the Nerds, but he's also Lizzie McGuire's dad. <gasps> I almost said even Steven's dad. But no yeah, way. Yeah, they're brothers. Ah! Yeah, I think he's still alive. Um, I think so. I forget his his last name's Caradine also, but I can't. Does remember Does he also name. do kung fu? I don't think so. Cause that would have been cool. I don't remember him doing that in Lizzie McGuire. No, I don't, I don't think. So. <laughs> I think he's the younger brother too. Yeah, he has to be. Um, but uh, but yeah, when you look at, I'll show you a picture side by side. Like they look like brothers. Right? Oh, oh, that's yeah, fun. I can see it. That's pretty sweet. Um. Can we talk about how obvious those kisses on the lips were? Oh, my God. <laughs> in the church? I was like, okay, one, sure. No one will see that. But you went in for a second one? I know. And a longer one? Come on. Maybe they were just commenting on how, like, small town and small timey all these people were that, like, Jesus. they're that, like, clueless, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mother. Oh, God. Enough with the mother, everybody. <laughs> Old white men, do not call your wife mother. Ever. Under any circumstances. <laughs> It's fucking weird but yeah and, and those but those kisses are great too because they also once again uh give you an extra clue you're like oh, okay so it's you know she might have wanted it to be his baby at this point you know like cause right the first time i saw it, when when i only when i only part one existed and i heard her say bill it's your baby like i my mind immediately went to rape right like you know what i mean i didn't think at all they had a relationship like uh-huh. i was just like you know and like oh i because we didn't see what he looked like i like I didn't think of them having an age gap or anything. Like, I don't know. Oh, I didn't think that either. I just, he was like presented as so evil in the first movie. Mm. Like, you know, he's, we only ever see him as a disembodied voice telling True. people to do heinous shit. So I was just like, True. you know, and, and he doesn't show any inclination of loving her in the first movie. He just says, we're not going to sneak. Like, she's a great assassin. We owe it to her to not sneak into a room and kill her in her sleep. Mm. You know, like, because he was, he's like, that's something people in our, like, she doesn't deserve that. She deserves yeah i i think that's why i didn't go to rape because i was like she could have defended herself against him true 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 but then you know he trained her you know you don't know how how strong bill is true in the first movie we get no examples of the bride being a normal human (laughs) we only see her in vengeance attack mode assassin mode to the point where you're like how does she exist in real life (laughs) like she's only ever on this mission for revenge and this is the first time we see her with friends with you know, like she doesn't. She doesn't expect her assassin life to ever come back. So this is her. Yeah. In her Clark Kent costume, as as, as one might say. But yeah, this nice. is this is her just like being what she thinks is like a normal person, and it's it's cool because again, it humanizes it humanizes a, like the person. You know, you're like, oh, cool. Like they actually could. Right. They're not just like this like mindless zombie who kills people. Oh no, this scene was just giving me anxiety because we know how it ends. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. oh, when is it gonna happen? Because it's all sweet and stuff, and then. You know, you get that shot of the outdoors and the four assassins walking in. Yeah. And that was when I was like, oh, this guy's cold. Yeah. Because he's like a freaking Sour Patch kid. Like, first they're sour, then they're sweet, then they're sour again. (laughs) It's like, Jesus. Just when you think he, like, actually cares and is nice, that's when he always comes in like like a freaking snake. Yeah. I mean, he's the snake charmer. They're all named after snakes. Yes, his, the his, charmer. His nickname is the snake charmer, mm. which is pretty cool. But I was I was super excited to get into the rest of these fighters. I freaking knew the blonde lady was going to be the last one. I'll but drive. before we get to her, this guy, I'm Bud. sorry, Bud. Mm-hmm. So easy to. Yeah, Bill and Bud. <laughs> <laughs> the parents weren't very creative. <laughs> um, My first thought was this guy assassin isn't as successful as the ladies no like he was just because like you know vivica fox had like a nice house and a kid 
freaking eye patch lady. She just seems like she's all right. <laughs> well, she seems like she's still in the world. Yeah. Like, she still works for Bill. Yes, The rest exactly. of the assassins have moved on. Like, Oren went to go lead the Yakuza. Right. Uh, Vernita left the life completely. They had, like, visions for their future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Bud, I like it because, and uh, I, I'm going to keep harping on this, but I love when they don't over explain things and just give you little little nuggets for you to then paint a picture in your head Mm -hmm. so for bud like we see him working at the strip club getting demeaned by his boss like just really just getting talked down to like great boss by the way yeah that guy was great (laughs) he was useful as an asshole about right here (laughs) (laughs) but what i like about it is if you remember before he goes to work it's when bill goes to talk to him and to warn him that the bride's coming and all that which is just a great scene like i just like this is the only time those two are ever on camera together, and I'm like, yeah, you two are brothers. Like, yeah, you, well. you don't even know they're brothers yet, and you're just like, this the me, like they're so good, the chemistry. Mm-hmm. But he says something about along the lines of like, I don't run away from guilt, and I've never, I've never not paid my own comeuppance. You know, like as if like to be like, listen, I might be a lot of things, but like I always face the problems I create like mm-hmm. head on. So to me, and again, this isn't in the movie and I might just be projecting this, but like to me, that sells his whole backstory. Because to me, that that means that he probably was very rich, just like these other assassins working for Bill. But he probably, and, but because of his personality and, and the way he is, he probably got himself into some trouble, pissed some people off, owed somebody hmm. a lot of money. But because he's still, he's not like a coward or like, or whatever, he probably like stepped up and gave them the money they owed or maybe they told him he had to leave the life of assassin and get the fuck out and never make yourself known again Mm -hmm. like i feel like he got himself in that predicament but he's not mad about it because he knows that like it's his own doing and that he he has to pay for his own thing that woman deserves her revenge We deserve to die. So that's why I think he's less successful because I think he probably got himself into a jam, pissed the wrong people off, and then actually, because he's a man of principles, paid the price mm-hmm. and is now living in a trailer in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, so that's that's, that's just what I... That was my backstory I put together for Bud. All right, all right. I might have completely missed it, but do we ever really learn what happened between him and Bill? Nope cool <laughs> but the, there's that, one, that remains in between there's brothers. one consistent thing we've learned from all of this is that pretty much most people that come in contact with bill at some point end up hating his guts by the time it's over with uh. Tori hanzo broke a 30-year blood oath to never make a sword once he found out who that sword was going to be used True against that he's like fuck that guy <laughs> yeah i'll do it <laughs> oh this bill guy and uh you know yeah, the only people who don't hate him are Eye Patch Lady and someone else we'll f- meet later yeah. on. <laughs> I think L, yeah, but I think L secretly resents him too. Well, she definitely resents him for loving. Yes. Beep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I bleeped myself for the podcast. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that's why I was like, I don't even need to know why they hate each other because it's fucking Bill. Yeah. He probably did something egregious. Yeah. Um, and can I just say that bleeping of the name just automatically makes something 20 times more interesting? Yeah. I assume you don't know that actor either, Michael Madsen, who plays Bud. Uh, I feel like I should. I don't even know if you would. He's famous, but not like crazy famous. But he was in, he had the breakout role in Reservoir Dogs. Uh. And so people were just like waiting 
for him and Tarantino to work together since then. Like they had it, they didn't work together since Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. and that was '92, so it has been 12 years. So this was like a big like return, like Michael Madsen and 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 Tarantino are back again. Oh wow! Um, but he's good, man. He's really good at that. Yeah. Just like he's really good at uh, wearing those cowboy hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is true. This is IMDb, so take it for a grain of salt. But apparently. That was his hat, and he loved wearing it, and, Tarant- <laughs> and Tarantino hated it. And so he rewrote that script. He rewrote that scene so that way the, the guy would have to, his boss would have to tell him to take it off. That's awesome. <laughs> like, those are, like, his Tarantino's own thoughts of being, like, that fucking hat. How many times with that fucking hat? <laughs> the, that boss just seemed like... He didn't even seem like he was working off of a script. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like he was letting out all his frustrations. <laughs> Tarantino's dialogue is just so fun. It's just like, customers wear hats. Well, I'm not the boss of the customers. I'm the boss of you. <laughs> <laughs> you working on Wednesday? <laughs> ah, I see you. Yeah. Ah, you're not working yeah. on Wednesday. He's like, no, you can get your fucking eyesight checked. Yeah, you're working <laughs> Thursday. Actually, no, no. There's your name. There was your name. <laughs> Another tag on to what you were saying earlier about you know, Tarantino not giving us something that we didn't expect. Yes. Freaking how crazy it was that she got shot so oh, easily. Oh, man. I was like, what the hell? I still remember being in the theaters being like, like I blew my mind. that like, You could even do that. I didn't know you could do that in a yeah, movie. Yeah, when Bud just shoots her, I was, I was actually disappointed in her. I was like, how the hell did you not see that coming? I mean, to be fair... Bud doesn't look like someone who's on top of things in terms of like, you know, he seems like the least assassiny assassin of them all. So I, I think she took him for granted. She's like, I he's know. a fat alcoholic who sits alone in his trailer every night. True that. And I, there's I there's think only one just... entrance. So like, I'll just barge in and get him when he's not paying attention. That's very true. But at the same time, like we just saw her kick 88 plus people's butts in the last movie. So I just had really high expectations for her. That's the subverting expectations. I know. Well, I remember thinking... When we first see that she's hiding under his trailer and she's going to break in, I remember thinking, like, literally, like, how are you going to make this exciting? Like, he doesn't seem... Like, if he, if her and him have a sword fight, I'm not going to buy it. Mm. You know, not the way that her and Oren did that I was like, oh, that this is, like, exciting and I buy it. So I remember thinking, like, what the fuck can they do? Like, this motherfucker can't fight her. <laughs> like, she'll kill him in three seconds. And yeah. then by doing that, I remember just being like, oh, I don't know where this movie's going. Like, yeah. Like, meeting Bill in the in the church, yes, that did subvert expectations, but it wasn't, like, mind-blowing. It was more just like, oh, I didn't think we'd meet Bill that way. But then not having this be a giant fight, that's the first time where I was like, oh, I think this movie might be, like, different than the first movie. Right. So, I have a question for you, because mm-hmm. she gets straight up shot in the chest with this humongous shotgun. Yeah. Instant death for anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> but for her character, it's not. What what do you think is the difference in feeling like that pain for her and not being as like surprised that she survived versus like a Fast and Furious when someone gets shot and not like feeling because I still felt even though she survived, I still felt that pain of hers. Yeah. Whereas like if I watch a movie like that or any other action movie, I don't really feel pain for those heroes. I mean, I think it goes a lot of that just shows is in the like the damage they show the character taking and even just like fast and furious is bloodless mm. like that's that's it's pg-13 they made that decision years ago that there's unless it's purpose for a scene like someone bleeding out of their nose after something right you're never gonna see someone get shot and blood splurred out so i think what like literally it's the little things of like how dirty they made her skin 
uh, like how dry her lips were, like the, her spitting the blood out of her mouth, like all that adds, all those little details add to you painting a picture in your head. Yeah. As opposed to, again, love Fast and Furious. Love <laughs> it more than most franchises. But, you know, Dom flips his car three times in each movie. The car flips ten times, glass goes everywhere, and then he walks out and they don't do anything to his body to make it look like he mm. just went through something. So then we're like, all right, cool, move on. But like with with this movie, like even... Like, you know, I'm not jumping ahead too far, but when she's learning to do the one-inch punch, just seeing the skin peeling off her knuckles, yeah. that changes everything. True. If we if her knuckles looked fine, it wouldn't it wouldn't work as as well. So I think that's what it is. Mm. And also, just to what you were saying about getting shot with a shotgun instant death, I've never really looked into what exactly this means and stuff, but they do go out of their way in the movie to say that he shot her with rock salt, not with real bullets. Oh. He says it twice. Oh, um, I didn't hear it. Yeah, I yeah. that. So even though it's in a gun that's being shot with gunpowder, so it's going to leave the gun with the same propulsion as a bullet. Uh-huh. So I don't, I don't really know what that means. Like, I've never really looked into, like, what a rock salt bullet is. But there's, Bud says it two times in the movie just to, like, let you as the audience know, like, I didn't shoot her with a real shotgun. If oh, I did, there's no way she'd get back up. Like, or with real bullets, I should yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, first time he shoots her and he's like, I can't imagine, uh... I can't imagine the pain of being tits deep filled with rock salt must be. Or having having this much rock salt that deep in your tits, he says. Yeah. And then when he calls uh, L saying that he's going to bury her alive and he's like, he's like, did you get her? And he's like, he's like, she's passed out now with a chest full of rock salt. Mm. So I know that it's almost like a rubber bullets type situation where it's like it's more meant to just hurt harder than a mother like harder than anything yeah but it wasn't real bullets like okay. it's the movie's unrealistic but it's not that crazy because <laughs> i was like there is no way she like if those were real bullets yeah, she yeah, would survive yeah. that because you you know you see the blood you see of the... course yeah yeah so yeah. yeah he shot her with rock salt okay again don't know what that means don't know if that <laughs> even makes sense that could just be bullshit made yeah. up for this movie but I bought it. It's a, it's the realm of the movie. Like, yeah. if they're gonna go out of their way to say that wasn't lethal bullets, I believe that it's not lethal bullets. I I've had to undergo ver a lot in this movie, like violence wise. But like, if there's anything I could ask for less of, and it would be the spitting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> less spitting, please. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of spitting. <laughs> I think there was a point where I said gross and a character in the movie said gross, mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, so. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But yo, I gotta say, they capture the fear of, of and like insanity of being buried alive so well. Yeah. The way they film this, no, thank you. It's so scary. This I still remember in the theaters too because it was awesome. The way it's filmed, if you remember, it's like there's tons of light, and then every time a nail goes in, you lose a little more light. Yes. And then being in the theater, once that last nail went in, and then everything is, and then the movie stays silent for about ten seconds, wow. the whole theater went pitch black. So it was like our last bit of light in the whole theater too. It was fucking awesome. That's like, cool. I have to, I have to think that he knew that that effect would happen because at home it didn't really work. We had light bleeding in from the windows and, and yeah. the kitchen, so it wasn't pitch black. But like in the theater, it was fucking awesome. But yeah, I mean. I've seen it a bunch of times in movies of people getting buried alive. This is one of the most effective ones of like, (laughs) you truly feel like the fear of it, of just like... Sorry, do you remember the conversation you had with your friend and their mom after you left the theater? No, she was just like, she won. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't remember at all. I don't remember at all. (laughs) Okay. Because there's a lot that goes on. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know. Where, where, where did, how are you feeling during this buried alive? I was like, how the hell is she going to get out of this? this like, like, I was like, there's no way she's going to get when, out When he it. says he can, he can bury her alive with her, with her eyes burned out uh, or a flashlight. I'm like, oh, my God. 
but I love this. Okay. Hear me out. So we get sort of her origin story, right? Mm -hmm. With her, I guess, further development of her Kung Fu skills. Where Bill takes her to get trained by, I forget his name. Pai Mei. Pai Mei. First of all, the beard flip killed me every single time. Fantastic. (laughs) How naive also of her character to think that Bill just got, like, he was bleeding when he came to get you. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, what happened? (laughs) It's like a little friendly competition. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, she she's going to stay with Pai Mei, right, and get trained. He's a jerk. Hear me out. I this is an adult version of Karate Kid Four. Uh, <laughs> Karate Kid Four. <laughs> Why? Because she's a girl. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were just saying the Karate Kid. No. <laughs> she's way more Daniel Larusso than she's Julie's son. No, she's Julie's son. Julie's son can't do Julie's shit. Julie's son is rated G. <laughs> Kill Bill. Julie's son could barely fight. What? You're out of your mind. I knew you were going to say no, that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Karate Kid 1. I didn't know you were going to say the next Karate Kid. But <laughs> sure. Yes, it's a lot like it the Karate is Kid. totally Karate Kid 4. I mean, it's also every martial arts movie of <laughs> an old master training a young student. I even love the shooting technique like that, you know, he borrowed from the those sh- styles the, of movies. The Shaw Brothers and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like the, 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 um, the super zoom-ins. Like yes. those are classic. Brought me back. If you remember in the first movie when I was talking to you about Hattori Hanzo, the guy made the sword, how that was like a character that's been around for a long time. Yeah. Pai Mei is the same exact thing, where Pai Mei's been in tons of movies in the Whoa. past, that character. And Gordon Liu, the guy who plays him, he's actually the guy who played the the bald leader of the Crazy 88s with the eye, eye mask. Oh, no way. Yeah, same actor. I could have sworn he got two moments in the credits. Yeah, that was him. Whoa. He played both characters. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, right. But one of the fun trivias that Quentin said that like made him geek out because he's such a nerd is that Gordon Liu has been doing kung fu movies since the 70s. And there's actually like two or three. I don't know exactly how many, but there's at least two movies where he fights Pai Mei like in the 70s. Oh. And so he thought it was like a fun like nerd thing to now have him play Pai Mei finally after being the... He always played the young guy who versed Pai Mei. Yeah. You know, oh, so that's like, cool. Now he gets to play him. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yo, that training was savage. Um, yeah. Oh, God. This training sequence. This was my favorite, like, as a kid of just being like, this is my favorite part of the movie. So good. <laughs> but, yeah. Of course. When she's too sore to eat rice. Yeah. Like I said earlier with her showing the hand damage of the blood and the skin ripping off, but also... The shaking of hands. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of movies don't bring that into effect. And, like, dude, when you do, like, a lot of physical labor or your hands are, like, hurting or, like, you're just, like, you know, it's, you, you garden all day. Your hands are going to start shaking. Yeah. And it happens, like, that's, like, one of the first things that happens when you're, like, really tired and hurt. And I feel like you don't normally see that. And just, like, not only to show it in this, but to have that whole scene with the rice about it. I thought that was, like, I, I just, I <laughs> loved it. It just makes you, makes you feel everything so much more. Just realistically absolutely yeah oh yeah and then i love this train sequence too because yeah it's a pretty standard montage type deal where like she starts off bad and as it goes on she gets a little better and better but it was a smart move i thought you know like a lot of filmmakers would probably do that until the point where she's a really good fighter and then they would end the montage with her holding her own against pai mei and breaking through the wood and being like i did it but just to do it a little bit differently i love that everything gets boiled down into that rice scene it's like we we see her struggling the whole time. We're at that rice scene. She tries to eat with her hands because she can't use the chopsticks. He says, if you don't do that, you have to eat like a dog. Yeah. And then that's when she 
grabs the rice, grabs the chopsticks, and then after a couple tries, finally gets it. And that's where we end the training. Yeah. And all that without very little dialogue now shows you that no matter what he throws at her and how hard she's hurting, she will rise up to the challenge. So that just tells you right off the bat as a viewer, like, oh yeah, of course she got good enough to punch through the wood. We don't need to show you that shit. Mm. And then that also makes it more exciting now when we actually see her punch through the wood in real time. It's like a moment of triumph. If we already saw her breaking through that wood earlier, it wouldn't have been as cool when she did it here. Yeah. So I thought that was like great editing and a great way to cut off that scene and do the whole show don't tell. Yes. By showing her struggle with the rice and then accomplish it, we know everything we need to know about what type of student when she's going to be. When I tell you I was so ready to diss this scene of her, like when she was able to get out. But then after we saw like her this montage, I was like, "All right, I can't hate on this at yeah. all." Yeah, for <laughs> I was real. so ready. Uh, uh, just because we blew past it a little bit, and I just want to make sure I don't want to miss it. Another thing that Tarantino was specifically doing with the editing of this movie versus the first one was we talked about the first one being a love letter to Hong Kong action movies, a love letter to samurai movies, and then a, and then a little bit of western put in there. Mm-hmm. This movie, he flips it where I would say it's 75% a love letter to westerns and then some kung fu put in there. Mm. So like the Pai Mei stuff is like the kung fu funus, but like the fact that Bud shot her with a gun instead of having a big fight right off the bat was just like him telling you like, no, this sequel is a western. Mm. This one's not the kung fu movie that the last one was. Like you want kung fu, you go watch that yeah. one. So I, I I dug that too, where it's like he really equals out his references of he wanted to make a love letter to samurai kung fu and spaghetti westerns, and you need to watch both of them to kind of get all those references. In That's one, cool, which I is like fucking that. awesome. Um, but yeah, and then that that deals to her, you know, doing the one inch punch, breaking out of the the, the coffin. Yeah, doesn't make any sense the way she crawls out of it, but it's it's a fantastical movie. Well, I'm not now too I know where it. that gift comes from. Oh, I didn't know. I, oh, I was wondering why you said that. I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> well, when her hand comes out of the dirt, mm-hmm. I've seen that as a meme and a gif, um, and now it makes sense. That's, That's great. <laughs> or now I know its origins. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to it other than it's hilarious. But after she breaks out of the grave. And she's walking to the coffee she- scene, oh, and she looks like a ghost. She's yes. got all that dust around her, <laughs> and then the acting on the on the guy's face is just like, <laughs> just staring off, like, like, is that? No, should we, I be worried? Like, you know? <laughs> we both laughed at that last. I know. Oh uh, yeah, that was funny. That, I love that siren so- sound slash song when yeah. she like basically sees red. Yeah, it's <laughs> awesome. That's uh, Quincy Jones made that. Whoa. I assume that she ate a meal when she got water from that guy. I hope she did. Because my note was like, back to murder without a meal? (laughs) Depends if Bud robbed her before he put her in the ground if she had no money <laughs> uh, yeah and then so then what do you think of the well let's jump to the l and bud scene in the trailer oh morning margaritas yeah <laughs> gross this nas- everything was so nasty about his apartment his ice tray was gross his blender was gross yeah what is this guy eat? oh i don't even know first of all this eye patch lady is so captivating Yo, her name is l oh <laughs> it's i'm so sorry easy to remember it's like your favorite movie character of all time l woods <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Just think of Legally Blonde. I'm sorry. Fine. Yes, Elle. Uh, she's so captivating as a character. Yeah. Daryl Hannah's so good. On yeah. Um, I've never seen her play something like this. Like, she's always oh. like a good 
good good guy or like main main actress like oh, i'm cute you know like <laughs> i've never seen her like like a ruthless crazy motherfucker like this yeah she's um, the one from splash who disney covered up her butt <laughs> on disney plus disney they see they see you had extra hair so it would cover her butt <laughs> i mean the reason why she's there to see bud is because they basically had a trade right she was going to buy the sword off of him yep and he was going to one promise that freaking bleep would suffer in the ground yeah and then uh he would get a million dollars from her isn't this the scene where we find out that he didn't actually sell his own sword well we find that out after oh we find yeah, out yeah, after. Yeah. okay so f- scratch what it's I more said. they're talking about like how does she feel now that like she's essentially retired because her greatest nemesis is dead. right i i did i found that conversation to be very interesting because it's yeah. like, what do you live for once your one goal is yeah. gone? Yeah, and, and he said, which R are you filled with? Relief or regret? Yeah, yeah. And also just hating on women and blondes at the same time. Yeah. I was like, guy, do you guys not know each other? Like, you know <laughs> she can kill you, right? <laughs> just the balls of this guy. Oh, and then she, and I love, so, yes, Bud is the one person the bride doesn't get to kill herself and get revenge on, but it's not a coincidence that it's a black mamba snake that kills him and her name is black mamba mm. so it's like you know what i mean like it's still like her spirit oh not spirit but like the yeah. essence of her still got oh him. that's cool yeah. i didn't even put that together oh yeah yeah i mean i think l picked those on purpose because she was just like uh. like you know she's like oh we're messing with the black mamba i'll kill him with black mambas i mean it's crazy how much she ha- l hates and all but also loves her nemesis yeah you don't say the bride you don't have the to, bride the bride vague. <laughs> i forgot i keep wanting to say bleep but then i was like uh, that's not, that's <laughs> yeah like she hates her guts but she also like respects her after when bud's dying when she's like now i'll answer that question for real and she's like what i re- feel is regret right that the greatest warrior i've ever known met her hands to some fucking piece yeah. of shit like you but then i was like you can't be that mad at him because you asked him to make her suffer and now you're mad that he actually like put her in the ground. Yeah, but I'll, yeah, that's true. But I guess it could have all been part of her play because he called her and he was like, listen, I already got her. She, I could bludgeon her with a uh, rock. He says like, I can coup de, I can kill her right now with a rock. And then uh-huh. she says, make sure she suffers to her last breath, uh-huh. which I thought was interesting as opposed to, so they had the chance to kill her in the first movie in the hospital bed. She's about to poison her and then Bill says, no, she deserves better than that than to be killed in her sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, like she deserves to be killed face to face. And then now here's another chance where someone could kill her in her sleep. And Elle says the, essentially the same message, but for a different reason. She says, no, we can't kill her in her sleep. Not because she deserves better, but because I hate her so much that she deserves to suffer until she dies. Right. And killing her like this is too good for her. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, like her and Bill are not on the same page. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But yeah, after he, he gets bit by the snake, she calls Bill to, to tell her that the bride killed killed <laughs> Bud. Um, and then now we we get the, the reveal of her name. Oh, yes. We find that her name is Beatrix Kiddo. Whoa. I was, I was so like... In, I didn't even believe that they told us her name for a second. I was yeah. like, wait, no, <laughs> no way they told us her name. It's, I love it that, you know, it's because it's, it, it's this. I, and again, I don't know exactly Tarantino's train of thought. This is just my interpretation. But the whole first movie is playing off the kind of nameless assassin. She, she didn't have a backstory, really. Cause she didn't need one other than like, I need to kill these motherfuckers. This is the movie where we learn who she is as a human being. And then like once we learn that, that's when her name gets revealed to us. And we see her as a person as opposed to this like mindless, right? just like character who's here to kill everybody. Yeah. That's kind of my 
take of why why it's revealed now. Um, but then I love the two little things, and one I actually didn't get until this viewing, which was fucking awesome. But the first one, which is awesome, is this whole movie leading up to this point, Bill is constantly calling her kiddo, which is like a mm. play nickname that somebody would say to someone younger than them. Yes. Like, hey, come over here, kiddo. I like it because I remember that fucking with my interpretation of like, they're kissing on the lips, but at the same time, he's calling her kiddo. Like, so that helped reinforce like the father-teacher yes. relationship. And then once you find out, oh, that was her last name. And that was never a nickname. It has nothing to do with her being younger or like a young kid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was just what he called her because that was her last name. I was like, that's fucking cool. And then the other thing I didn't get, which I, I, I don't know how I never picked this up in the first movie. Heard this line a thousand. I always thought this line was just a funny line when Oren and, and Beatrix are looking at each other. And then the cra- she hears the crazy 88s coming on their motorcycles. Remember, and she's like, you didn't think it would be that easy, did you? Is that what I think it is? You didn't think it was going to be that easy, did you? You know, for a second there? Yeah, I kind of did. Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Do you remember uh, that? Oh, yes. I always just thought that was like a funny line Tarantino wrote. Like, I didn't understand why they were saying that. And I, they still don't explain it, but tricks is most definitely her nickname because her nickname is beatrix uh-huh. so i think that's just saying like when they were friends that was probably an inside joke they had where they would say tricks are for kids referring to something that she would do i just thought it was cool that's like it doesn't cool. it doesn't add to the story but it adds more to the like oh these are real people who had real lives they're not just like two adversaries meeting on the battlefield right so Interesting. yeah i think the tricks are for kids thing has something to do with her name being yeah. beatrix hmm. why else would they say that yeah. at the same time you know what I mean? Bill's the only one who calls her kiddo, right? Mm-hmm. Throughout, like, through one until this moment. So it's kind of like he's the only one who truly knows her. But, like, at this point of the movie, when we finally get to know her full name, it's like we're on this. We know as much about her as yes, he does, if exactly, not more. Exactly. Because we actually know, like, why she's doing the thing she is doing. Uh-huh. Like, that extra layer that he doesn't know yet. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. That was my take That's on cool. That. You have anything before the flying foot comes in through the door (laughs) this scene was hard for me (laughs) i I love this fight scene it's so well i I mean the the scene yes sorry the the way it ends is too much for me but yes the scene itself the fighting was very good but the two swords even just the damage like again like this is like you feel every time they get hit the way it's filmed, you actually feel it as opposed to other movies where they feel invincible. Yeah, like, and the sound effects, the man. Foot damage, like even her whipping her with the antenna, and then she has that cut across her face. Yeah, you know, like you know, it's like those little touches. You're like, oh fuck, you know. I'm telling you, women fights for some reason like are a thousand times more effective to me. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's like I don't know for some reason like when when a woman hits. It like seems harder, and then also when they take the hit, it's like ooh, yeah. you know, like I don't know if it's because I'm a woman. I also think it's <laughs> a lot of it has to do, I think, with this movie in particular and how it's made, though. Like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking of, I'm trying to think of the first thing that popped in my head that's similar that we covered already is like, remember when John Goodman and Nick Cage fight in Raising Arizona in the house, and they're getting thrown through the walls and stuff. Yeah. Because of the way that's filmed, it's very funny. Like we watch Nicholas Cage go through a wood wall, and he's just like, oh, gets up, kind of like cracks his neck. We see Al get thrown through a wood wall in this, and like we see fucking blood and splinters and spitting up blood and broken glass, and like, yes. and you're just like, oh, like the way something is filmed and and the way sound effects are put in changes everything. Absolutely. So yeah, I agree with you with the woman thing, but I think it's specifically like this movie is more brutal in that sense of like feeling hits. 
Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the other one. Um, but I think the sound design too in these fight scenes in general have been oh amazing. spectacular. So, oh yeah, everything. Um, we also learned that the bride. This is where we find she finds Bill's Hanzo sword, and he didn't actually pawn it. Yeah. That he actually cares a little bit more about the stuff than he plays on. Two hundred fifty dollars. I know. Right? That was so low. <laughs> I was like, yeah, two hundred fifty dollars. Okay, <laughs> we're going that low. <laughs> um, I think he just wanted to piss off Bill. Oh he was, yeah, he's absolutely. He's still just mad at him, so he thought he would tell him that. And then we also learned that Pai Mei also trained L. And that's how she got the eye patch that we never yeah, knew about. Yeah, origin stories. I, I love just love it. Like, like, what did you say to Pai Mei that made him snatch out your eye? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I found oh. out that she, her fucking bitch ass poisoned him. Yeah, that freaking i hate her <laughs> like I, he wasn't he wasn't great but like but you also, would kill the teacher bill literally told a story about him that took place in like 1005 so that means this guy's like an immortal <laughs> like she basically like killed like a living god <laughs> like yeah. you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> which is wild I feel that i feel like that made her like extra evil yeah yeah <laughs> and then it just made uh i just love similar to the way the black mamba kills bud and it's almost like she gets to kill bud she takes down l using pai mei's technique so it's almost as if like pai mei got his revenge yeah. you know what i mean like like by taking out her other eye oh my god andy that was so hard oh it was the best i had to look away the way she flailed like like all over the yeah. fucking house, breaking everything. Like it's just because I didn't see it coming. Yeah. LOL. <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Oh. It's so good. I almost wish she didn't gouge that first guy's eye out in the first movie when she's fighting the crazy eighty eights. Right before it cuts to black and white, she she does the same move. She plucks a guy's eye out of his skull. Oh. I'm. I forgot about that. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that didn't affect me as much. Um. Uh, so I was like, I was like, oh, it almost would have been more exciting if she never did it before. But at the same time, it's not that yeah. it's not a huge oh, deal. Where does she go from oh, there? She steps, does she just die? And then she steps on the eye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She actually doesn't because um, I know we watched a lot of the end credits, but if you watch more of it, it puts, we didn't watch all of it. I don't think so because there was one little part that I forgot about, oh. and it doesn't mean anything because it's been twenty years since this movie came out and nothing ever <laughs> happened. But it shows. Each member of the five of the assassination squad on screen, like it'll say Oren Ishii, and then a line would go through it, uh-huh. you know, and then it would say Bernie yeah. Green, and a line would go Wait, through I it. Wait, I want to see that part with that. Uh, and then when it says L Driver, uh, a question mark comes up on it instead of a line because she never actually gets killed. Whoa. She just gets she's just left blinded, you know. So like it's this to be changes like, might be on the credits. It's like oh, will she come back? You know? Yeah. But it's also been. 18 years and Tarantino has showed no signs of making a follow-up <laughs> so I don't I don't think this is happening wow. <laughs> yeah when she that was more exciting in 2005 when you're like oh what's he gonna do next yeah yeah, yeah and so from here we get one quick stop off to meet Esteban and then we are <laughs> off to Where Bill did they get this guy <laughs> he has to be famous who Esteban the actor yeah you know who that was who that was the same guy who played the cop in the first movie the sheriff no way yeah I love I love this. It's like a theater play. Yeah, that was, that was Michael Parks. Michael Parks is a great actor. Wow. So apparently, the guy they wanted um, uh, Ricardo Montalban to play that role. He was the guy from Fantasy Island in the seventies. Uh-huh. Like, welcome to Fantasy Island, that guy. Um, and he had to drop out at the last second. I don't know why, but he just couldn't do it. And then, like, literally, he was like 
Clinton knew how good Michael Parks was, and he's like, "Yo, would you mind just like trying this out?" Yeah. And he like put on the accent and everything, and he was just like, "Yeah, this is you." Like he's like, oh, "You're yeah. the role." So Michael Parks played Esteban and the sheriff. Looked to me at like completely different people. Yeah. So hundred percent. Wow. I like this too because I do remember this scene was. My absolute least favorite when I was 14, and every time I rewatched it, I always skipped it just because it seemed unnecessary. Mm. Like, it just, to me, as a 14-year-old, it slowed down the action. Like, I was like, come on, we just <laughs> went from that. Go get, like, why does she need to talk to this guy? Couldn't she just figure it out some other way? Yes. But, like, watching it this time is the most, I, I like, I liked it more than I've ever liked this scene. What I really like about it is, like, we're here we're meeting, basically, Bill's father figure, mm-hmm. and he's this pimp who's brutal, like a monster. But, like, it acts nice and all smooth like i see where where bill Bill gets the charm from yeah but it's like it's showing you that like bill is who he is because this is the world he's been in since he was a kid Mm -hmm. and he had no choice but to become bill like he was this is what you're born into this is what he grew up learning this is what he grew up thinking was normal right so now you understand later fuck i have to talk about this at the in in the in the spoiler section oh yeah hold your horses people (laughs) i'll be back (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, I love the Esteban scene. Michael Parks is great. Um, I just, the subtle, like, I'm a bad, badass always gets me, you know, because he looks so nice and harmless. And eh, yeah, this old man used to be a gangster. Mm-hmm. And then he orders this girl to bring him something. And like, you see her lips and her face. Yeah. And, oh. Well, because before, you know, he says like, he's like, when you're talking about Bill shooting her in the head and he's like, that was very not, that wasn't very nice to do. I would have been much nicer to you. I would just cut your face and like, yeah. and you're like, holy fucking shit. So he like brands these women, you know, like, yeah. and probably makes them so gross that they can't go work for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like she can't go be a prostitute for another pimp, like with that face like that. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like effectively being like, now I own Jesus you, you know? Christ. But, uh, yeah, I mean. She tells him he, where Bill is. He, yeah, he basically points her to where Bill is. And I think this is when we head over to the spoiler section. <laughs> so, yeah, we get the bride showing up to Bill's house. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. When she shows up. I don't up, know where she got all these fly ass clothes from. I know. Where is she getting all these clothes? <laughs> and like, when does she eat? <laughs> she needs to eat. <laughs> Um, first of all, Bill has nice interior design skills. Oh, yeah. Nice, <laughs> this is nice. a really nice house. For real. <laughs> all right. So at this point in the movie, how much of a surprise was her turning the corner and hearing her daughter say, hi, mommy? Mm-hmm. Like, I knew because the last movie ended telling you that she had a, her daughter was still alive. Yes. You didn't necessarily know that Bill was raising her. You could have guessed it, maybe, but you didn't really know that. Yeah. So, like, how did it work for you? Because I've seen it so many times now, I can't even remember what it was like to not know. Well, for me, Bill was freaking... He has been unpredictable <laughs> this whole movie. Yeah. Like, I really didn't know what to expect. So, seeing the daughter say hi, mommy, for some reason, didn't really surprise me. I was like, oh, that's, it was more of a, oh, that's interesting that he did yeah. that. Um, and we come to find that, we come to find his reasoning into why he's told her about her mom, why, why he's told her about her mom and has never lied to her, which I actually found to be a relief. I feel like that's usually the go-to route. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're going to hide who your mom is. Maybe raise your daughter to hate, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. All this crap. But yeah, I, I love that choice. Um, that friggin' girl is so adorable. Yeah, like, I think great. they casted, like, the cutest go- girl who is weirdly scary. 
to me <laughs> because she was obviously is being raised by an assassin. Yeah. So therefore is sort of exposed to killing and death in a weird way that like makes it seem cute and innocent. But it's actually when you really think about it, like they're playing a murder game. Yeah. <laughs> like what the hell? Yeah, the bang, That's bang, me- you're dead, mommy. That is messed up. Yo, that line, <laughs> dude, when, she, when Uma's sitting there looking shocked, seeing her daughter for the first time. And then Bill just goes like, lay down, mommy dead and i was like that's so like haunting like yeah. like you've been dead through all of this like this is like you you're not part of this life you know like, i was like this girl's gonna need therapy yeah uh what surprised me was how quickly beatrix played along yeah she just completely let her guard down and just dropped her basically her, her intent for this entire two volumes of a movie just because her daughter is present and that's what scared me because i was like you're letting your guard down way too soon like just because your daughter's present doesn't mean bill's not gonna like kill you in front of her I know. you know so like that's where i was scared but it's so complicated too because like this the conversations they have here coupled with the one from the church and the one we skipped over by the campfire too where he talks about pai Mei. oh right um it's like you're finally understanding that, like, as much as they both hate each other and are doing heinous things, like, they still do love each other. Right. But they, like, understand because of the circumstances, it could never work. So, for me, her putting her guard down there was almost like her, like, seeing the family that, like, could have been for a moment and, like, just living in it, even though she knows full well that this hmm. this can't, this isn't forever. Like, I have to kill this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, just, just to get, like, a taste of what it would have been like to be with the man she was in love with mm-hmm. and have a daughter. And you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how I took it. More, whereas, like, she was, like, getting a little little trial of that life. I guess so. But then I was confused as to how we would get to, like, is she even going to follow through? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I just didn't know at that point in the movie what was going to happen. Especially with Bill being so, like, nice and, like, basically explaining to Beatrix, like, I... I, I like straight up did I wanted her to know who you were and she's been waiting for you. I told her you were sleeping, which yeah. she was yeah. like, it, it, it just blows my mind how honest he is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even later in bed when he says he's like, you're like, mommy's really mad at daddy because daddy shot mommy. Yeah. And I'll pretend like we did before I shot her for real. Yeah. And then, you know, just like the fish conversation about life and death. She's like, did you not know what was going to happen? He's like, no, I very much knew what was going to happen. You know? Like, yeah. I don't, I, I'm having trouble finding my words today, but it was a strange conversation to have with your kid because it's a conversation that many divorced parents, I think, have with their kids and like explaining why mommy and daddy are fighting. Yeah. It's like a weird way to see that in a movie like this. <laughs> and also the stairs in this house are not childproof. No. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think his life is childproof, let alone the stairs in his house. <laughs> but my next note is, just when you think he's normal, Bill is insane. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into insane Bill territory, I got to talk into Tarantino just not being able to turn off his film nerdness. Uh-oh. When they decide to watch a video, the four-year-old girl picks Shogun Assassin. Which oh, is like right. this, this fucking obscure, like, there's no way a four-year-old would even, like, enjoy that movie. It fits thematically about what with this film, so I actually like that he picked it. But like, if this was the real world, there's no way that four year old. But um, Shogun Assassin, it's it's pretty complicated, but it eventually ends up being a story about a man and his four year old son being forced to become assassins together. 
And it's like this man and his, like, it's like a killer and his son traveling the world, like, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Pretty much being, like, what Beatrix and her would be if they didn't leave that life. You know what I mean? So it's it was a cool choice of a movie. Interesting. Um, huh. And then also the the sound clip that they used from the movie that uh, that was sampled uh, uh, from by the Jizza on Liquid Swords, a Wu Tang album. Oh. Uh, so if, you get, if anyone likes hip hop, they'll know that right away. <laughs> but yeah, we finally get down back down with Bill and and Beatrix for their final confrontation. This conversation with the uh, hits her with the truth serum, but I also I love his Superman conversation. Yeah. The superhero one. Uh huh. What did you think of that? I I really liked it as well. I mean. I, I feel like he this it, it scripted so nicely. I know Tarantino said it right. Oh Jesus Christ! But what really stuck out to me about this conversation was really how much um, her basically disappearing on him affected him. Yeah, because it explained why he didn't lie to his daughter about where her mom was. It's like. I, I, I forget. I, I've only watched it once, so I don't ex- exactly remember how he worded it or how I m- got this connection. But it's almost like he didn't want her daughter, his daughter to go on this search and find out that he, he she was lied to or anything like that. Like she he wanted to be upfront because he didn't want her to experience that pain. Yeah. And uh, I think the f- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the phrase you're looking for is when he uh, he's talking to her. And he was like, when you didn't come home, I naturally assumed Alice or one other, someone else killed you. Yes. And then he just stops and goes, and for the record, making someone think that someone they love is dead when they're not is a very cruel thing that's, to do. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, he's just like, like, he's basically saying, like, you fucked me up. Like, I yes. like, I went from thinking you and I were, like, truly, like, like the, the person I loved in this world the most to then you're gone and I have to think you're dead for three months. And then I look and I see that you just move, like you've just completely moved on. Like, yeah, you know, and then, you know, he even says I overreacted, which obviously is, <laughs> it's like, a, it's like basically a joke. Like, you know, cause like you shot her yeah. in the head and killed everyone and tried to kill her baby. <laughs> I wrote down overreacted yeah. and then she goes overreacted. I was yeah. like, all right, cool. Um, but yeah, that's what stuck out to me as to why he chose to tell his daughter, you know, the truth. Yeah. And so I love, yeah, I love rewatching this movie because after you get this conversation, when you're watched any any times where her and Bill are interacting from the first time, from the earlier in this movie and even the first movie, it's like it just colors everything in with so much more depth of just knowing how close these two were and what they meant to each other. Like now that you fully get that full picture, it's like everything makes so like you know yeah, and you know even like. And, and even, like, to how mad Elle got when Bill didn't want to kill her in the hospital bed. And she's, like, on the phone. She's like, you don't know her shit. Like, <laughs> like you could tell this is years of her always being in love with Bill. But yes. his second choice. She and Bill never got together until the bride betrayed him. Like, she was always the consolation prize. You know right. what I mean? And then, so, even in that scene, too, like, Bill tells Elle, I love you, like, when she's leaving the thing. And, like, you know, but, like, now you know that that's not really true. Right, you know what I mean? Like, right. he's more manipulating her the way he does everyone else. How did Elle not try and murder Beatrix's daughter? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, th- I just think that... She, Bill probably was yeah, protecting her. Yeah, like, Bill, like, she, she probably would have killed Bud years later if she had a good excuse. And now that she could blame it on the bride, she's like, good, I can kill that motherfucker. Yeah. Like, you know. Oh, my God. Well... She, Bill must have known that she was lying about that because I feel like Bill would have been extremely upset at Kiddo 
you know, if he actually did That's think true. That. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, yeah so think, he must have known. Yeah, th- yeah, he's he's smart. I think he knew that. I yeah. think he always knew what L was up to and mm-hmm. the, the evilness of it all. But I don't know. It just angers me that at the root of it, like, he does really love her and she does really love him. But because of the way he is, <laughs> he can't accept the fact or he can't really let his identity go. Like this whole assassin lifestyle yeah. and like his choices and that's like that is him. So they can't be together. Because but also he's convinced he's telling her that like he doesn't believe that she believes what she thinks. Because her thought was if I get her away from Bill, me and her, I can raise my daughter like a normal person. And he's telling her you're not a normal person. Right. That's the Superman speech. Like you're yeah. you're Superman, and when you go down to Texas, that's you putting on a civilian costume and doing what you think civilians are. But you're above. Like you're you're something else. Like yeah. you're you can't escape like your true nature. Because he says like you killed a lot of people to get to me and I bet they all felt good. And she says every single one. And it's yes. just like, yeah, like that's, that's your nature. So like, you're not necessarily just going to like throw all that away. But like, she's saying like, no, you don't understand what it's like when you, a baby comes out of you like that. Like she's saying like, no, it changed me. And he's saying like, you can't be changed. Mm. And who knows? That could be even a thing on motherhood versus fatherhood. Like they say, you know, like not that I have any fucking idea, but like, I can kind of imagine at at the end of the day, the mother has some kind of stronger bond to the baby than the father does, like on a chemical, n- truly natural level. Right. Like take all logic and brain out of it. It's just like it's came out of your body. You know what I mean? So <laughs> exactly. like, like I think that's that that's the little way that I read it too, where it's like her being like, No, no, you don't understand. Like when that baby came out, I changed and he's like I I raised it for four years and I haven't changed, so that's like that's who we are, mm. you know. So it's mm-hmm. like it's 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 cool. It's a lot a lot to dissect here, and like even the way it all ends, like I you know it's still up in the air about like how what kind of life they're gonna live, you know what yeah. I mean? And then yeah, he I like how he subverts just like the Vernita Green fight where that when they like they make this plan to go have a midnight fight in the park, and then the the duel happens in the kitchen. Very similar here. They say you know we can go have a samurai sword fight on the beach. At yes. noon. Um, apparently, that was the original script. It was going to end on this, like, kind of beautiful sunbathed samurai sword fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were running out of time and running out of, like, money and all this stuff. And then they went to Tarantino, they as in the shitty Weinsteins, uh, and asked him, can he make any changes? And that's when he rewrote it into this script. And then he said, in the long run, he actually liked it a lot better. And he's like, I love that this giant martial arts epic culminates in a 40 minute conversation. Mm. Like, you know, like he's just like, other movies don't do that. Every other movie has the big fight at the end. Mm -hmm. And I also do like that. They keep us from seeing Bill really fight. Right. I think it shrouds him in a lot more cooler mystery. Like, yes, Miyagi fights and all the karate kids, but we don't see a lot of it. Like to the point where like, it like ruins the mystique. Right. So I like that. Like Bill's more like an understated, like, Oh shit. Like don't piss him off. As opposed to like watching him do a backflip and then, but beat up some guys. Yeah. There's actually a deleted scene. Um, I don't know where in the movie it would have gone. It's on the uh, DVD. I can show you if you want. It's pretty cool. Okay. I'm happy. It's, it's, it's a great deleted scene because I think it should be deleted, but it's very fun to watch. But it's it's an old flashback of the bride and Bill walking through a marketplace. And it's filmed exactly like a 70s kung fu flick. You know, those like marketplace fights when someone's like shopping and then someone comes and challenges them to a duel. Yeah. It's kind of that. Uh, Michael Jai White's in it. And he shows up as uh, someone whose master Bill killed in the past. And he shows up for revenge. And then Bill takes on all his henchmen and then fights him. Oh, interesting. And it's a really cool scene. It's very fun to watch. 
but I like I see why it's not in the movie. Like it's it you would have seen Bill get into a real deal fight, and it it would have taken away that mystery. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. nice to have that mystery behind him. So I I love that. You know, like if you saw that, then it would have given you kind of an idea of this last piece. But um. And did you expect them to, to immediately start swinging at each other right no, after talking? No, not yeah. at all. And I, at this point, completely forgot about the exploding heart The five-point yes. Which, I mean, I sort of love... I love techniques like that um, because... I mean, it reminds me of Xena the Warrior Princess because she has that go-to move uh-huh. where she basically paralyzes people by like doing hitting pressure points yeah. on someone's throat it's like uh, avatar does it too with the, yeah. the people who can't bend but they can hit your pressure points and stop you from bending exactly yeah. but i was not expecting it. it it all just happened so fast because we're having like this slow in-depth conversation and then boop, 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 and then it's over yeah, like, it's, <laughs> like it's like they each swing on each other a couple times dodge <laughs> dodge dodge and then she just like he doesn't expect it you know so he's yeah. not guarding his chest he's probably like you know and then she didn't tell him yeah I mean, did do you think he even learned the technique? I no, don't think he did. No. Yeah. Well, he says when he first tells her about it, she says he's like he's never taught it to anyone ever. Like nobody mm-hmm. knows it but him. Um, and so she learned it. Yeah, she gives a, and that, that's a great way too because it it gives you that moment for him to kind of like realize what happens and give his final moments of speech before walking off and dying. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so I like that too, as opposed to like if she just like cut off his head, you know, then it would have yeah. been like, oh, okay, he's dead now. Well, I mean, at least his last words were nice to her. Yeah. Because that that could have been an opportunity to really screw up, like screw her up, you know, mentally yeah. speaking. He actually like went off being like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's what makes it so crazy because like. You know, she's she's not she's not happy about what she just did. Like it's not like a satisfying like other movies are like, Yes, the bad guy's dead. It's yeah. more like how the fuck did I even get here? Like, <laughs> the the nicest thing and it's kinda screwed up, but I think the daughter's gonna be fine that her dad's dead like i don't like mentally speaking i think she's like i think she will but i think that's why she's not gonna be fine in most of life because i think (laughs) she's so used to this kind of stuff where she's like oh yeah and then at four my mom kills my dad (laughs) and then like when she's gonna be like go-go where she's like 16 and all fucked up in the head you know exactly (laughs) so i don't know yeah it's gonna be a tough one with with that (laughs) my biggest takeaway was like when does Uma die? Like, I was expecting her to die at some point for some reason. Really? Because, like you mentioned before a little bit, she is not a good person. She's murdered so many people. So I was like, no way they're letting, like, a murderer get away with it. Yeah. Like, that she's actually going to have a happy ending with her daughter and has start a life. Yeah. We don't see the starting of the life part, but I just, for some reason, expected her to also die. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I don't know how I would have felt about that. I would have to see it and see how they would do it. But yeah, yeah. well, I like that she didn't die. I'm not saying I wanted to be that way. I was just surprised. True, true, true. <laughs> Can we talk about the hysterical crying? Yeah. In the bathroom. I what? I love it. <laughs> Uma is so good. I know. To capture that mix of emotions, like of mourning. But also like happy that you actually succeeded in what you set out to do, and that you have like your daughter who you thought was gone. Yeah, like, you thought she didn't even ever be yeah. birth. Because I went through the emotional roller coaster with her. I was like, oh man, she's really bummed about Bill. Oh wait, what? What? She's laughing? Like yeah. I just didn't. <laughs> no, it was great. Was so good. And yeah, again, that's what separates the bride from so many of these other characters like right. she's, she's not like the badass she is a badass cold warrior but she's a person you know what i mean like you're not gonna see james bond 
crying in the shower after oh, a mission. They'll never let James. Yeah, cry. like you're not gonna. He's not gonna be like, oh my fucking god, I can't believe that shit. Like you know, like you're just you don't get those moments. Like you get James Bond sipping a martini, waiting yes. for the next movie. Like oh yeah, <laughs> and even like did love Mission Impossible. Like I love Mission Impossible three the most, and no one else feels that way. Everyone thinks the other ones are better. Uh, everyone. <laughs> a lot of people. I'm sure there's other people who think what I'm thinking. I like the only th- one. I like three the most because Ethan Hunt is so scared and vulnerable in that whole movie, and it's fucking awesome. Mm. Like, the movie starts off, and he's tied to a chair, and Philip Seymour Hoffman has a gun to his wife's head, and you don't know how he got there, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's just like, if you don't tell me what I want to know in 10 seconds, I'm going to kill her. And then he slowly counts down from 10 as Ethan is he's pleading, he's crying, he's doing anything he can. And then he gets to zero, you hear a gunshot, and then the movie starts. And you're just like, holy fuck. Like, you know, and so, sorry, I know that was a weird tangent, but <laughs> you don't get that in other Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. In all the other ones, Ethan Hunt, well, he could be worried. He's still just like, yeah, I did it. I'm fucking Ethan Hunt. Like, come on. Right. You know, and like, I like when these heroes can put that courage on but then when they're alone you don't forget that like people everyone's scared like how brave you are like they always say like bravery is not being scared it's being scared but then not letting that stop you right so it's like we're always afraid to show our action heroes cry fucking be scared be unsure you know not that john mcclain cries and die hard but the reason why the hurt's so good is because that motherfucker doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. and every time he tries something he's like oh i might die <laughs> you know so like i love that so mm. Having her break down into hysterical cry, laugh, just emotions on the floor of the bathroom is perfect. Yeah. I can't believe we got a happy ending here, essentially. And then, I, and I love also just the, uh, the big epic end credit sequence showing you the characters from both movies. It really makes you feel like you watched one big movie. Oh, yeah. As opposed to watching a part two, you know? I really yeah. dug that. I, I think the end of Uma just driving... Yeah. It just goes to show how captivating Uma is as an actress. Yeah. Because I was like, still interested, but clearly nothing was going on. <laughs> and as Tarantino as a director, because there's a long sequence of Brad Pitt driving in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Through all the beautiful old 1970s LA that they recreated and all this. And like I've said, and I've even seen other people in reviews say, being like, yo, I could literally watch this motherfucker drive. The way this was filmed... <laughs> I could watch him drive for like 10 minutes straight. And then like we were watching this and I was like, fuck, he's really, this is captivating. We're just watching Uma drive yeah. in the in the jungle and, and he's got it. That should <laughs> be a film cool. class. Yeah, should be. Cool. You want to play a little best worst? Oh, <laughs> sure. Ooh. Best worst member of the deadly assassination Viper oh, Squad. That was the one I was thinking of. Oh, uh, no problem. I'm going to have to go with Lucy Luz. Yeah. I'm going to say let's not count the bride. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So out of the, I guess five if you count Bill. Ooh. I think I got to go with Bill just out of like from a character perspective. I love learning everything about him. Uh Uh-huh. I love learning how ruthless he is. I love learning how much he respects martial arts. Like I love learning like how serious he took his love for the bride. But I also like how... You know, how ruthless he could be, but then how he's also a good father. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, he's such a dynamic character. Yeah, super dynamic. Yeah, like, you just don't know how deep all these layers go. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So Yeah. But, but, but yeah, I love Lucy. Lucy was a great choice. Anything well, I mean, I think out of all of the assassins with Bill, she also is pretty dynamic in yeah. terms of, like, it's it's easy to understand how she became the way, who she was, who yes, she became. Yes. 
and why she has so much hate and is able to be like a cold-blooded killer and you i empathize with like who can you know yeah so uh yeah she's gonna be my number one pick but i agree with bill too like he's super dynamic nice Worst is hard. Normally, I pick worst based on, like, from a filmmaking perspective, and you base it on a character <laughs> perspective. But I honestly, I think they're all are really well done. Like, I don't think any of them are like, ah, back, the, you know, they could have been written better. Like, I love them all. So I, I'm going to have to go Masha style and just pick L out of, like, true hatred. Like, you know what I mean? I love the character. I yes. don't even think there's anything I would want to change about her. Yes. But if I, I just can't. I don't think any of them are badly written, so I got to go by character. And it's just, like, she's such a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, out of all of them, she really is the one with... She has no morals. No morals, no uh, no code. No. no like, even Bud. Like, Bud seems like a piece of shit, but he still kind of has a code. Yes. Like, you know, he doesn't run from he doesn't run from his problems, and he also, like, respected the sword, you know? Absolutely. Like, he respect... He, I think he, he didn't keep up with the sword play, but he kept the sword because he, repre- he loved... He respected what the sword meant and what it represented. Right. Elle wanted that sword because she never got one for herself, and she thinks it would probably make her a better fighter but she doesn't respect hanzo she doesn't respect what the sword means she doesn't she would never have been able to convince him to (laughs) make her one yeah and also to actually kill the brother of the person you're with yeah is very like you clearly don't have emotions (laughs) like you don't care about anyone yeah Yeah, she's my worst as well nice i mean i hate I hated watching the the plucking of the eye and the stomping of the eyeball, but if I really step back, I don't feel bad that it happened to her. Yeah, the way she's flailing around. I just yeah, exactly. Surrounded by all her stupid money, like you know. Yep. Oh, and that she's trapping with the snake. Yeah. She's probably gonna get bitten. Probably. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. Cool. I, I kind of missed the pussy wagon, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that that car, that blue car was cute, but like that ridiculous pickup truck was kind of. <laughs> ah, pussy breakdown. He's <laughs> 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 like, my pussy wagon broke down. Ah, the pussy broke down. <laughs> <laughs> so not a best worst car, but honorable mention. Qu- Quentin still owns that car. Oh, does yeah, he? Yeah, he keeps it at his house. Wow. Apparently, uh, it's been it's been in a couple of music videos. Like every once in a while, a rapper will will pay <laughs> him to put it in their video. Wow. I think it's in like a Nicki Minaj video or something. That's insane. Yeah, so every once in a while, it shows up. You it's know, gonna end up in video. a Hollywood museum at some point. <laughs> I like this movie too much, so no worse for me. I'm done. That's all I have. You want to just get out of here? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> As if we're going to another room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like... Oh yeah, we do our segments in separate rooms. You know that. <laughs> Whose side are you on? Are you on Beatrix's side of the scenario of how things will go down or Bill's? Oh, I actually think I'm on Beatrix's side. Mm. I think uh, the willingness of her to give up this life as soon as she got pregnant kind of proved that to me that it wasn't like it wasn't a fleeting thought. Like she was very sure of that decision. Mm -hmm. And I think like seeing that she was still alive, she actually like it reignited that chance for her. Mm-hmm. I think when she thought she was dead, she was like, this is just who I am for the rest of my life now. And then when she saw she was alive, I actually do believe that she will uh, somewhat raise her rationally. Mm. I don't know if the past might not come back to get her in a different way. But yeah, I don't think she's going to like raise her as a killer and all that. Interesting. What about you? I, I kind of think they're both right. <laughs> I know that's a cheap answer, but <laughs> I, I think that she's going to have moments in which she's going to definitely struggle. 
Yeah. Because I think that that moment that she had, it was sort of cathartic of like actually being able to kill all these people and get that revenge. Yeah. I think she might have, um, I think she might feel empty a little bit for the rest of her life and not being able to experience that feeling ever again. Okay. And I don't know. I think that she, to be an assassin, you have to have that. You have to enjoy it. Right. Like you can't just, so I feel like there's going to be that empty part of her and not being able to enjoy that piece of her life ever again. Mm -hmm. So I, yes, I agree with you in that she'll, she'll be able to move on and be able to raise her daughter. But I do think that she's going to struggle a little bit Ah. in having missing, having have missed that part of her life and also having to go through life now without having someone who truly understands her full self. Yeah. Cause she killed the one person who knows her completely. That's a good point. Yeah. That's it's like, yeah. Bill was the only person who really yeah. understood who she was. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting to piggyback off of what we were talking about last uh, episode with the, um, with Vernita's daughter coming back. What mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about was the speculation is always that it's going to be her versus BB mm. in, in any kind of potential sequel, which would actually like, help with Uma Thurman getting older and like I'm sure I'm sure Uma wouldn't want to get back in the same fighting condition as this movie because you know in this <laughs> I assume she's in her 30s on this so she's probably almost 50 now you yes. know so like I'm sure she's not as excited to to go with full atomic blonde like Charlize Theron or something but I do think it would be cool if you had the daughters versus each other and then freaking L and Beatrix like what if L got a hold of vivica fox's yeah, daughter yeah, yeah. and like sort of like helped feed the beast yeah i think that's a good, a good way you to know? do it um so yeah that's always a possibility um they've talked a lot about like especially in the five years after this came out because it took until 2009 for his next movie to be made so mm. that was five years right every interview was about what's the next kill bill and he gave all these different ideas of like what he what he might make but as of now 20 years later nothing has mm. come out i think i mean You'll probably love this, but they should just do a Cobra Kai approach. Yeah. And yeah. like have the kids have the kids fight it out. Yeah. Maybe, but I also like I don't You're know. You're not into it? No, just not in a like it would need to have an insane like Game of Thrones style budget where it doesn't, it doesn't I don't want it to feel like TV. Karate Kid worked because it's a very simple like it's a movie you will watch on anywhere. Like it's it's a very easy movie. It's not. It's not very high production value in that in the sense that like this is. Oh. Where it'll be like if you're like, hey, we're making Jurassic Park the TV show. I'd be like, oh god. You know what I mean? Like I want it to be like Steven. Sp- it needs to be Steven Spielberg, and it needs to be like these groundbreaking effects and money to build this world. So like a cheap version of Kill Bill. I just don't know if I want to see. Okay. It. Well, I just meant a Cobra Kai approach in that like you're taking that movie. And like putting it in the modern day. But let's say that it had that, if it had that budget and like made a series version of Kill Bill, you'd be into it, right? Yeah. And especially if they truly copied Cobra Kai, where if the whole thing was from Nikki's perspective, mm-hmm. like it opens up with like a flashback of right. her seeing her mom get killed. And then it cuts to Zendaya playing her, and yeah. then she's been training, and then maybe we don't even see Uma Thurman until like episode six. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that that would be cool. But then again, Cobra Kai did kind of. Now every time someone does that, it's going to be compared. So like it's mm. it's no longer as original. You know, like I didn't come up with that idea until after seeing Cobra Kai. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> all right, all right. So that that would be pretty cool. But yeah, I, I would I would watch it no matter what. But I would mm-hmm. I just like I would basically want Tarantino to be in it 
like fully. Like, not just like, oh, executive producing. All right, someone else go make it. Like, it it needs to be him to make it feel right the way it should be. And then, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that's movie number eight, nine. Nine. And you said Quentin's planning on making like 10 movies and that's it, right? Yeah, but that also might be bullshit. He was just on Mark Marin this week and and I listened to it. And Marin asked him about that and he was like so nonchalant about it. And he was like, Oh, that thing, he's like, yeah, that's just one of those things where I'm doing an interview on, like, a podcast, and people take the words I say, but they're not listening to, like, my joking tone, where he was basically, like, saying, like, that might be true, but I never made, like, a declarative statement saying that 100% I'm making 10 movies. Okay. What he said was, actually, if you look up the original interview, is I've always, there's so many filmmakers I've loved that as they got older, they really just couldn't make the kind of movies they made when they were younger where you know you look at like Francis Ford Coppola he's still around it's not it's just not a coincidence that he's not making the godfather again like mm-hmm. he just like he can't like you know and that's I'm not trying to talk shit it's just like it's a very, it's a very 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 hard to make an amazing movie right. i don't care how good you are at making movies you could still just make the wrong decisions you don't know yep so he was just saying that every filmmaker who he grew up idolizing as they got older and late in their career Everything dropped off. Hitchcock's the same way. You watch his movie from the 80s that he made before he died. Nobody likes it. He was like 80 years old. He didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So Tarantino's basically saying, like, I don't want that to be my reputation. Like, I don't want to be known as the guy who's 80 years old making shitty movies. Right. So he's like, and then, so he said kind of flippantly, he's like, I basically noticed, like, every director has, like, 10 great films. Like, every great director has 10 great films, and then it starts to fall off. So he's like, wouldn't it be cool if I, like, stopped after 10, and that was what you knew me as, as, like, the guy who made 10 great movies? And then that became... Quentin Tarantino said there was no way he's ever going past 10 movies. You know what I mean? So he basically was saying that he's not really holding himself to that in the way that the, the media is. You right. know what I mean? It was it was more just him talking and then it got overblown into this like declarative statement. Mm-hmm. So it might be true. It might not be true. I don't know. I, I'm just like was trying to figure out what your what your stance is and if he would if you think he would ever like bring this back up. I could see it happening. Um, and I could also see it being one of the other ideas that they've messed around with was doing a prequel on all the Deadly Viper squad as an anime, similar to the way we got mm. Oren Ishii's. Like, that would be cool. You know, where we cool. find out the, how each of them got into this life, you know, in a cool anime style. Um, that would be a cool sequel, I think, or a, a way to bring back the world without having to worry about, mm-hmm. you know, like, how old is everybody? Who wants to do it? Can, you know, who died? You know, so it's like everyone could come voice the actors, you know, so that way they could still be, That's cool. you know, Daryl Hannah could come back. Like, all of them could come back. So I think that would be pretty cool, too. But any any other either fun ideas or things you would want to see in, in future installments? Uh, no, I just, I, I think that Uma, and since her daughter is acting as well, like, they could really do something. Oh, yeah. Here. Yeah. That would or, or be my could, one. Or we could look up to what the BB actor looks like now. Uh, and yeah. if she's still even an actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all I had. That's pretty sweet. All right. So I got some final thoughts here. I'd like to wrap up before I ask you the great question. Yeah. I'm. A lot of this is going to be me repeating myself. Fucking love Kill Bill. Um, this thing as a whole is my favorite thing Quentin Tarantino has ever made. It's so goddamn good. If anyone's interested, my top three are this, Pulp Fiction and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> All of his movies I either love or enjoy a lot. So even though I talk shit about Django Unchained, it's still a very enjoyable, well-made movie. Like, it's fun. It's what? just, I just don't think it's as deep as it could have been. Oh, no. I think Hateful Eight should be number one. Mm, nah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That too, I like a lot of it. I just think the mid, 
middle of the movie reveal kind of ruins a lot of the tension mm. in the movie. I like I like the mystery of the first half where you don't know who's bad and who's good. Yeah. And then halfway through they reveal all the bad guys and then I find it it's just like a slow slog to the end after that, personally. <laughs> but it's a beautiful movie, really good. But yeah, <clears throat> this stands I love it. In terms of volume two specifically, love the genre shift. I felt if they tried to just do another martial arts epic, it would lose some of its steam and not be as exciting as the first one was. So I love going more into a quiet western contemplative film for the second one as opposed to the balls to the wall action we had in the first one we've already seen all that craziness the first movie is like what can the bride do and then this movie is like what is the bride like you know the first movie is what is bill's organization capable of the second movie is who is bill you right. know so that's why I, I always said like i said right off the top these movies belong together one without the other is a huge disservice and you're not getting a full idea of like what we're watching here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't watch the first movie, the second movie seems boring. If you don't watch the second movie, the first movie seems shallow. So <laughs> they really go together like fucking apple pie and ice cream. They represent their genres perfectly, martial arts, westerns. When you watch them both movies, you get equal respect paid to both genres, so I love it. Everything I said about the bride standing out above other action heroes, her sense of unassuredness, her... The way she takes damage, the way that she can get bested by people, even though they say she's the best, deadliest woman in the world, and she proves that, doesn't mean she might not get surprised by a shotgun blast. You know what I mean? Like, she's not indestructible. She's just the best. But the best can still be taken out by a gun. You know what I mean? So I like all that. And one thing that I kind of put together this time that that I was like, I never really thought about before, is she gets to the top of this fight and bests all her foes and makes it through and beats everyone against her kind of by having the most respect and patience for the world of martial arts and the history of it all mm-hmm. um and the, the way i, I kind of like wrote it down in my head of like how she takes everyone down and it's like she beats oren ishii by going to hatori hanzo giving him more respect than anyone's ever given him proving to him that she takes this very seriously and she understands the weight of his weapons, what his weapons can do. And he respects her by making her a sword. She then goes to face Oren Ishii, who immediately belittles her, calls her a silly Caucasian girl who plays with swords, doesn't take it quite as seriously as she does, and then ends up getting cut down because of that. Because she doesn't have the proper respect for someone who has higher skills than her. You know, she thinks she's the best. Well, the bride, she knows who's better than her. She knows... To respect people like Pai Mei and Hattori Hanzo because right. without them, she can't have her power. Yeah. So it's like her respect takes her down. When it comes to Vernita Green, you know, she they have this fight. The bride decides to show her sympathy because of her daughter. She said they agree on this duel that they're going to have that puts them both on equal ground, an equal fight to see who's the best. But then Vernita takes the snake route and tries to shoot her behind her back, which results in her death. Big she, mistake. She doesn't respect the samurai way. Therefore, she gets taken down unceremoniously, unlike a fitting samurai's death. Sorry, I thought about this a lot. (laughs) Bud gets taken down because he not only... Yes, we talked about how he respects it in the sense where he doesn't sell his sword, but he still thinks this whole samurai life is kind of stupid, and he's willing to kill the bride, steal her priceless sword that Hattori Hanzo made only for her because he believed that that sword belongs to her, tries to sell it for a quick buck to someone who doesn't deserve it, and then gets killed by a snake because of that. Because he, you know, he's, he's, this sword was made for one person, and now he stole it from her and is trying to sell it to someone who it wasn't made for. Right. And then, 
fucking what's her name? L. She, you know, tried to get trained by Pai Mei, disrespected him, got her eyes snatched, and basically went behind his back and poisoned him. As a you know, which isn't like if she really wanted to take him down, it should have been in a one on one fight to mm-hmm. prove that she was better than him. But instead, she went behind his back and poisoned him. So that's her disrespecting the lifestyle. Gets her eyes snatched for it, killed. Right. And then even down to Bill. Bill believes he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. And he taught the bride, so he'll always look down on her as being like, you're not up to my par. And because he looks at himself with that kind of hubris, he never learned the five-point technique from Pai Mei. He, so he thought, if Pai Mei never taught it to me, he never taught it to anybody. Right. There's nobody who has a bigger respect for martial arts and who deserves to know it more than I do. So if he didn't teach it to me, then there's no way anyone else in the world could have had the same respect to learn the martial arts. Yet, the bride was the step ahead of him. So she did get to learn that five-point palm technique. So it was right. kind of, if he had a more open mind of like, I'm not the greatest warrior. Maybe I'm just a you know, disciple and other people could be better than me. Then he might have got her there. So I don't know. That's my little half hair brain crazy theory of, you know, going through each one of them. I know it was a lot there. Um, but yeah, all in all, that's all the reasons I love Kill Bill 2 and Kill Bill 1. Just Kill Bill as a general. So Masha, to wrap this up. The end of last week's cliffhanger. Do you love what I love? I love it. This was a lot. But after watching volume two, and I was not expecting to say this, but I think I'm coming out loving Kill Bill. Oh, snap. I'm a sucker for a revenge story. I love when characters are seeking revenge and actually like get it and don't die at the end. Um, <laughs> that was surprising to me. And, and all of that, like just to say like the incredible cast, the martial arts, though violent, I did appreciate a lot. And I don't know. It was just like a fun time. I don't know if I can watch it again, but I think I'm, I can't like deny that I... Yeah, I mean, I'm just glad anytime I can beat your hate of gore because <laughs> you know you hate gore and this movie's got a lot of it yeah but you were able to still enjoy it over that so that's always feeling that's a personal victory for me yeah so it was it was uh pretty good ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good job guys it was all right uh, it was all right I, I guess no but i i agree with you in that you have to see it as one piece of art for because sure. that's what it's it was meant to be originally yeah. and you're just gonna be you're missing like key components of they feel incomplete without each other. Yeah, yeah. Right, nice. And I love how deep it ended up being. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, surface level, like, she's seeking revenge, and it just, like, ended up... They, we ended up seeing more layers as time went on, which I really appreciated. For sure, you know? for sure. Well, I'm going to take my victory and my samurai sword <laughs> and go keep seeking new adventures. Yeah. There's no hiya. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy our show, please take a moment to rate and review wherever you find your podcast. Every bit of feedback truly helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love.